Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. Taught by our teacher, John Garepa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. We're going to continue to study Joshua or in Joshua chapter 6. I want to welcome the radio audience that's part of what we do here. I want to continue with this great lesson. And what we've seen so far is we've seen Joshua crossing the Jordan River, God stopping the river. Three million Jews traverse the river. They now stand on the other side and God gives instructions. Uh, you have to celebrate the Passover, which was the only the third time in 40 years that the Jewish people celebrated the Passover. You need to be circumcised. And how there they are, this great army of people being circumcised in the very shadow uh, of the city of Jericho, knowing that they have to take it down, and yet God said, you do this first. So they were immobilized for several weeks because of that, but it didn't matter. It's not man's ways. We talked about that. It's not man's ways. It's God's ways. And so we talked about the issue of submission to God, putting your intellect and your, what you think your mind is about and your experience and subjugating it to God. And so we see that in, in this great lesson. And so God tells them, march around Jericho every day. For, and then finally on day seven, march around it for seven times. And on the seventh time when the horn blows, the people shout, and the walls will come down. And in fact, they do that, and the walls come down. And in such a powerful way that the entire army was able to walk in directly, not through breaches, but directly, right through the walls, as the walls now really were nothing but debris. And so there's a lesson here that I wanted to talk about that I didn't get to last week in that part of the, of the chapter, and that is about the lesson of faith. And if you were with me yesterday, you know that I spent the whole lesson about faith. I'm not going to spend the whole lesson today, but there's a, 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 an important issue of faith here as it relates to the Jewish people in Jericho. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, and you look at Hebrews chapter 11, and you see verse 30, and it says as follows, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith. By faith. And we talked about what faith was. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what I said, and what I'll say again today, is faith is not a leap in the dark. We don't just wild-eyed guess, not wild-eyed hope. When we have faith, we have faith because God has talked to us and spoken to us through the Holy Spirit. We read Scripture. We know that in the case of Jesus, there are over 300 prophecies in the Bible that related specifically to what Jesus would be. 300, and all 300 of them have come true, every one of them. Uh, and some of them are so specific that it blows our minds, right down to the fact that he'd be born in the town of Bethlehem, which is like saying a truck stop. It's that small. In the town of Bethlehem. And then in Zechariah, when it speaks about the fact that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem on a colt that had never been ridden. And that's exactly what happens. And when you read Psalm 22, it lays out the entire crucifixion. Britain, 1,000 years before Jesus would be born 1,000 years, and yet you read Psalm 22, and the specificity of crucifixion cannot be denied. 
and even though crucifixion had not been invented uh, as a cause of death, would not be invented for about another seven or eight hundred years. You see God speaking to us. God doesn't say, you know, take a leap in the dark. Our faith is not predicated on guesswork. Our faith is based on the substance, the evidence of the things not seen. And so we know. And so the Jewish people had the faith to know that they would march around this city every day for seven days. And finally, on the seventh day, they'd march around seven times. And I would submit to you that that had to be a tremendous walk of faith. You can imagine three million people walking in the face of the enemy on this hot, in, in these 75-foot-high walls that were four or five feet wide. And, and, and those residents on the top of the wall must have been hurling insult after insult down on them as they walk. Can you imagine, you losers? Who do you think we, you are? Can you imagine? And God had directed you walk in silence. You walk in silence. That would have been, that would have been very difficult for me to keep my mouth shut, all right? That would, I, I probably would have had, I would have had been taken out of line, I'm sure. <laughs> Take that guy out of the line. He's wrecking the whole thing for us. That one guy is ruining it. But you know what? You put yourself there. You know what it's like. You see the faith that's involved? You, in your humanity, you want to reach out, and your God says, you be quiet. This is my battle, not your battle. I want to, and that's one of the things that you, that you learn here. And when you look at, at uh, Hebrews 12, first verse, it corresponds to this issue as well. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance and underline that perseverance, the race marked out for us. Look. You can't see the angels that are around you. You can't see the Holy Spirit supporting you. You can't see God's cloud of witnesses with us. And yet, when we walk in faith with perseverance and endurance, this is what happens. The walls of Jericho come down. And every single one of us in this room has walls of Jericho. We all have walls of Jericho. We all have strongholds that we're facing. We all have great difficulties. And so you see it. And so uh, the endurance aspect, you see this perfect results. And God, when he lays this out to us, will show us that you will lack nothing. So what a great picture this is. That the Jewish people have submitted themselves, follow the, the leadership of Joshua, bow down to God, worship God, do what God says, even when it doesn't make sense, and endure and persevere for seven days. It wasn't just an hour or two, but did it even when it didn't make sense. And at the end, God gives them a great delivery. Look also at James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. There it is. So when you're going through hard times, when you're going through suffering, when you're going through persecution, when you're going through health issues, when you're going through relationship issues, I want you to realize that as a child of God, God has not abandoned you. And God is doing something with your life. He is testing you 
and allowing your faith to be strengthened. Faith through preservation, through perseveration, will grow, will grow and be strong. And, and so it's an important thing for us to understand how God works with us. And you see it here, right there outside the city of Jericho. And now, now, as the wall comes down, God has commanded that everything be destroyed in the city. That is everything but Rahab, everything but Rahab. Uh, and because God honors the promise of Rahab. And I just want to turn to that, if you would, Joshua chapter 6, verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And so what you see here is that God honors his promises. If God tells you something, you can take it to the bank. God said to Rahab, God said, you will be protected. We will preserve you and your entire family if you follow the instructions uh, of the Jewish people. And she does that, and you see this. And so what an important understanding of how faithful God is to us. He is faithful. And something else, I want you to think about this. We know from reading this passage that Rahab's house was in the wall, right? Remember? Because you remember they opened a window in the wall and they allowed the spies to escape through the window? Well, folks, I submit to you, the entire wall came down except Rahab's. How do you like that? You want another kind of a miracle? Rahab's house did not come down, even as the entire wall city collapses. But God, God protected this woman and kept her kept her whole. Turn to James again. James chapter 1, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Underline that last part. God does not change like shifting shadows. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, his promises are immutable. His, he is forever. He is utter truthfulness. He is utter good. And so you have a, a, an absolute obligation and responsibility to honor God and follow God because God never changes. Even when you don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense, uh, God is consistent and true. And so when you see this story of Rahab, one of the things that it shows me is it shows me the plan of salvation is open to anyone. I don't care that you were a prostitute. I don't care about your past. I don't care about the evil things that you did in your life. I don't care about those kind of things in your life. All right? I've wiped them out. When you come to Jesus Christ, when you come to Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. So don't go down that path when you know people who say, well, I know about Christianity. I got to clean up a couple of things in my life first, and then I'll come. That's a bad thing to say. You're going to work your way to salvation? When we've talked about nothing for the last several years, about how nothing that you do, no work relates to salvation, that, that, that grace and salvation is a gift of God, 
a gift of God, that even the very faith that you have, the very faith that you have was given to you by God. Imagine that. Imagine that. Your own faith. So even when you first came to faith, it's because God gave you that seed of faith that allowed you to recognize the hopelessness of your situation and then reach out to him. Oh, my. What a great God we have. What a great God we have. And you see that here. You see that here with this woman, Rahab, that God honored his promise. She was protected. And God honored it so significantly and so profoundly that that woman would be in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. You think God doesn't have a sense of humor? All right. Somebody asked me about that today. I give you exhibit A. All right. There it is. How do you like that? I said that God, uh, God has a sense of humor. He took a woman who was a prostitute who came to faith and allowed that woman to be in the bloodline of Jesus Christ to demonstrate that God is not a respecter of persons. So don't go thinking of yourself as some holy Joe, you know, some pious guy. You're sitting there and you're a giant of the faith. Let me tell you something. The more and more you understand God and you look in the mirror and you see him looking back, your faith should your face should be in the dust. I don't care if you're preaching. I don't care if God's given you a great ministry. I don't care about the other gifts that you've got. Whatever you're doing has been a gift of God. Amen. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you didn't develop it. It's God anointing some gift for you. You can take no pride of ownership. And, and that is why when we see people who are desperate, who are lost, who are suffering, it's as if God grabs us by the throat and says, you better do something. Really, you better do something. And I felt that way when I saw that woman presenting her children and nobody stood up for her in church. Nobody. And God put a finger on my chest and I felt God say to me, you are her family. You are her family. That's what we are. And if you don't recognize this, if you don't recognize that this is part of faith, that we have to conform our belief with the work that supports that belief, then you're not getting the whole thing about being a Christian. Being a Christian isn't just coming to Bible studies or going to church. All we're doing as we do this is preparing you for the street. We're preparing you for the outside world. We're preparing you to be engaging people in the culture. Really. Honestly. Uh, and I, and, and I, and I want to tell you a, a little example of that in my own life this week. Uh, and uh, I told some of the folks in the 11 o'clock class this issue... And, and it's an example of faith, and it shows really how I'm trying to walk with God. I got a call on, on uh, Saturday from the Rutgers Alumni Association. Uh, and I was out, and my wife took it, and so my wife said, oh, he's out. He'll call you back. And, of course, they don't want to hear that. No, no, we'll call him back. So I get a call back from the Rutgers Alumni Association inviting me to the uh, golf outing in southwest Fo Florida for Rutgers alums. And I said, Mr. Robert Goldfarb. And I said to Mr. Goldfarb, uh, two things, Mr. Goldfarb. Number one, I hate Rutgers. Uh, I said, it's a liberal school. When I, when I graduated in 1970, there were nothing but riots. 
They were rioting every day. They had the Kent State issue. They closed the school down for a week. It was nothing but liberal issues. Uh, I, I wouldn't give the school one dime. I said, number two, I don't have time for golf because I'm, I'm putting the, the balance of my life to propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mr. Goldfarb says, really? <laughs> I said, yes, Mr. Goldfarb. Further, I said, I believe you're, you're probably a Jew. And he goes, yes, I am. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, and I mean this. I'm a Christian, and when you come across a real Christian, no Christian could be an anti-Semite. Impossible, because we owe the Jewish people an enormous debt of gratitude. Everything in our Christian faith comes from the foundation of the Jewish faith. And I'm going to say something else to you, Mr. Goldfarb. I believe that I, as a Christian, am a completed Jew. What I mean by that is that you took the ball down to the five-yard line and stopped, and only when Jesus Christ, the star fullback, came in and was given the ball did Jesus cross the goal line. And so I would invite you, I would invite you, Mr. Goldfarb, I would invite you to come and listen to my, my work. Go on the website. Listen to what I'm doing. I'm on 350 radio stations. You can connect on that. I hope that you'll have a chance to do that. There, there was silence. And then Mr. Goldfarb said, this is the most interesting phone call I've had in a week. Now, why am I sharing that little personal side of my life with you? I'm sharing it with you to show you that that's what God wants you to do. You understand? This is what faith is. I have the faith to believe that God has called me to articulate his gospel. He's called me. Now, am I afraid that I probably am not going to be elected the president of the Alumni Association? I'd say probably so. And possibly might they not call me again? That's possibly true also. But here's the thing. I don't care. You understand? I don't care because when I'm called home to stand before Jesus... I want to be able to tell Jesus I did the best I could, Lord. I did the best I could. And I'm telling you this today so that I know a lot of you, a lot of you are concerned. Oh, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't, you know, I, it's difficult for me to articulate the faith. Uh, if I come against a Jewish guy, I don't want to insult him. You're not going to insult him. You're going to honor him. You see the way I did it? I honored my Jewish brethren. I told them we owed them a debt of gratitude, which we do. We owe the Jewish people a debt of gratitude. They just missed out on the last five yards. And that's what our job is. And when you explain it like that, you have no idea. You have no idea how God can use you. There was a, a, we have people in our class who have Jewish relatives, and one of them had come to class uh, about a month ago, five weeks ago, and I did the same story that I just said here uh, about being completed Jews. And this gentleman, who was Jewish, had kind of been separated from the rest of the family, the Christian part of the family, for years. But he had come to the class. He came back afterwards. He now listens regularly to the website. He listens to the website. You know why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It starts to nick away at the heart. Let them see what the truth is about. You Remember, you 
are not the people who save people. You are just the messenger. And we have to understand that. So you see that. This resonates in my heart as we come through here in understanding faith. That's faith. Faith is stepping out for the Lord. Even when you're not sure exactly how the next step is going to be, you step out for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So, uh, and be careful when you call my house. <laughs> you never know what's going to come back over the phone. That's right. You're better off texting is right. You're better off texting. You never know. All right. So now we're going to start Joshua chapter seven. Joshua chapter seven. Here it is. This tremendous victory. We've wiped out Jericho. Yeah. Let's just go around high fiving each other. We're great. We're great. We're good. We're powerful. Look at God. We've got him in the back seat of the car. Well, nothing could be better. On to the city of I. That's the next one. Let's knock it down. Let's knock it down because we are the people of God. Not so fast. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. And by the way, what that means is God had laid out a command. You are not to take anything of value. All of the precious items, all of the gold. All, all of the bronze and the silver had to go back into the treasury of God. It was not to be taken by anyone. The rest of the city was supposed to be destroyed. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. That's not a good thing. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, the city, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out I. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against I. Send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary all the people for only a few men are there. Let's stop. We don't need to go full boat. We can tie one hand behind our back. We don't have to go make a full effort here because they don't have as many people and we can wipe them out easily. Verse four. So about 3000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slope. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. They're great, aren't they? Humanity is great, isn't it? Humanity is great. Uh, five minutes ago, I, I knocked down an entire city's walls uh, when you did what I told you to do. Now, five minutes later, you're moaning to me? Why did I bring you across the Jordan River? Don't you wonder why God just didn't wipe out the Jewish people? I mean, how many times? How many times do we rerun the same thing? Great victories followed by great defeats because of disobedience and lack of submission. How many times? How many times? Oh, Lord, verse 8, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? 
The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Well, all right. There's a lot to chew on. Just at that part. A lot to chew on. And so the, the thrill of victory was quickly faced, replaced with the agony of defeat. Instantaneously. And I would submit to you that this is a picture of our own lives. How many times have we had some victorious event in our life? You knew that God was there and you saw some miraculous event followed by some defeat. One minute living in victory, the next minute living in defeat. And what you see here is a picture of spiritual failure. This is a picture of spiritual failure. And so I, the city of I, was smaller than Jericho, but its conquest was essential because uh, the Jewish people needed to uh, get to the high plateau. And unless they got to the high plateau uh, where the city of Ai was located, they would be subject to constant attacks. And so we know that God and his commander, Jericho, issued a ban, a directive to all the Jewish people not to take anything of value, that it had to go in to the, to the Lord's treasury. And yet, what we understand here is we see that one man, one man decided not to obey that command. One man violated God's will. And so what you see here uh, is that this war going on is not a war of a people against another people. It's a theocratic war. Israel is a theocracy. Israel is being led by God. It is the only time in the history of the world that one country will be totally led by sovereign God. And so God gives a directive. And now, as, as a theocracy, Israel is supposed to follow in lockstep what God says. And yet what you see here, what you see here is that one person violates God's command. And so... There is sin in the camp. There is sin amongst the people of Israel. And so what does God do? When there is sin, God stops the blessing. And let me start right up front by saying this to you. That if there is sin in your life, if there is something in your life that is not according to the will of God, and you know it, you don't need me to tell you. Many of us have closeted off certain parts of our life. Whatever it is, that's between you and God. But if there is that going on in your life and you are finding that the blessings of God are not coming down to you, there's a simple answer. Repent. You need to clean out that closet. You need to ask God for wisdom. You need to put your face in the dust. You need to ask God to show you his will because God will not be partners with ongoing sin. Now, I'm differentiating this from what I would call occasions of sin. Falling, tripping, making a mistake, uh, and asking God to repent. What I'm talking about here is an absolute violation of the will of God, knowing what the will of God is, and continuing to hide and secrete it. And that's what uh, Achan did. And that's why God held the entire nation to blame. Somebody asked me, would God do this today? No, God would not do this today. God would not indict an entire nation for one person. 
He would not do that. But here, there was a very different rationale because this was a theocracy. God had called these people uh, to him. And so what had happened here was it was a very different paradigm. And so what you see here is that God is telling you that you cannot move ahead, you cannot progress with God unless you take care of the sin factor. Now, you don't hear this too much in churches today. All right? You don't hear this preached. You know why? It's kind of inconvenient. You know, I want people to like me. I want people to come to church. I want them to feel good. Uh, and, 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 I, and as a result of feeling good, uh, oftentimes you're hearing a, a different gospel than you're going to get here. And what I want to say to you is this. Uh, look, I'm not trying to be popular. I'm not trying to be beloved. I'm responsible to God. And what I see when I read this, there's no other way to read it. God stopped the victory of Israel because Israel had sin in the camp. There's no other way to read this. And so what you say is, is God will not bless you if you have continuing sin in your life. It constitutes rebellion against God. Uh, and this is important to understand this uh, key, a key issue. Turn to James chapter four. We're in James a lot today. James chapter four, verse five, verse four. We'll start with you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, man, what a great verse that is, as you see what God is telling us. The very spirit of the Holy Spirit that God has given you grieves, grieves our conduct when we separate ourselves from God. Now, I know that that's a fact because all of us have at some point in time deviated from what we know is what God's will is in our life. You understand this. Some things happen. Sometimes we get into certain areas of our life where we know something is not right and yet we continue to do it. There's not one person here that hasn't gone down that path, including me. And it's when you recognize this, that God gives you the wisdom to see it, that you've got to stop it. You've got to put a stop to it. You can't continue in that kind of life. Because if you continue in that kind of sin, you are going to be defeated. God is not going to stand with you. The, the cloud of witnesses is going to disappear. Yes, you're saved. But I'm talking about a successful walk in this world. And in the life to come. This is important. I mean, this is important. And you see it uh, factually depicted with the people of Israel, and you see it now in the verses of James, how God tells us. Now, friendship with the world. Don't, don't take that verse as meaning you can't have friends that are not Christians. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that you have a love, a desire, an envy of what's going on in the world. Is that where your heart is? You really, really would rather be out there with them than be with us. 
You find it better when you're out there with them than you find it being with brothers and sisters who are godly people who are trying to serve God. Well, if that happens to you, you need to ask God to search your heart. That's not good. That is not a good situation. And so you need to ask God to indict you and convict you and give you the wisdom to know how to, how to do that. And so what you see here is how Achan illustrates how one or even a few believers, when pursuing their own selfish agendas, can negatively impact an entire group. Really, it's so. Here, however, God indicts the entire nation. And so, though the crime was committed by one person, the whole nation of Israel was considered guilty. The nation was responsible for the obedience of every single citizen and was charged with the punishment of every offender. Every single offender. That was the charge of God. Look, God had just said to them, when you take down Jericho, you're going to wipe out the entire nation. Every living thing, including the animals, is going to wipe that, be wiped out. Why? Because God had put an indictment on those people hundreds of years before. Hundreds of years before when he had told Abraham that that would be part of his uh, promised land. But that the day of their sin had not yet come, meaning uh, the Amorites, those people in that area of Canaan. And yet, so God gave them a time, uh, gave them a time to repent, gave them a time to change their ways. And they did not. They did not change their ways. And so what you see here is the disobedience of Israel is outlined very clearly. And, and one of the lessons that, I, that permeates my heart on this is that never is the believer in a greater danger of failure than after a victory. I'm going to repeat that. Never is a believer in greater danger of failure than after a victory. And why do I say that? I say that because I can look in my own life. That every time that I had great success, great victories, the only thing I was concerned in was how high I could high-five myself. You understand? Yeah, baby. High-five me. Yeah, you're smart. Yeah, you're talented. Yeah, you're tough. Yeah, you're going places. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? But what happens when all of a sudden it collapses? Defeat, failure, rejection. What happened to the high-fiving? What happened to how smart I am? It's when we are defeated and lowered and, and suffer and persecuted that all of a sudden we good we look up to God. Oh God, help me. Help me. And that's exactly what happens. And so it's not the victories in your life that bring you greater success spiritually. It's the defeats. It's the defeats. And so you see this. You see it. And that's why we want to prepare you. Because you're going to face defeat. You're not going to have one victory after another. God is going to put some things in your life that are not going to be pleasant. And he's doing that because he's developing your faith. He's strengthening you. He's testing you. And so you understand that here. And so also, what do we see here that, that, that this are, resonates with us? We are reminded how nothing escapes the omniscience of God. No little secret in your life escapes God. Don't think 
you get out of bed at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and you go down on the computer and you're doing research, quote unquote, and you're going places that your mind should never be going. You're traveling back to Egypt, as we would say, spiritually. And that's just between you and the computer and God doesn't see it. God sees every little thing in your life. Every little thing in your life. One of the brothers asked me this morning whether Satan knew who the chosen people were and how could he. And I said, oh, Satan knows. Satan knows full well who the saved ones are. And how do I know that? I know that because Jesus turned to Peter and said to Peter, you're going to, you're going to uh, abandon me. You're going to fall away from me. And I'm going to pray that your faith, because Satan seeks to sift you. Satan seeks to sift you like wheat. And I'm praying that your faith is sustained. Why would Jesus say that Satan seeks to sift him if Satan didn't know who the chosen ones are? Satan has an army of millions. Listen, millions. We know this from the fall of Satan, that millions of angels were tossed from heaven to this world. And they are his minions. And Satan is not omniscient. Satan doesn't know everything at the same time. But he's got demonic angels who are constantly reporting back. And they know who you are. They know that you've given your heart to God. They know that you want to serve God. And guess what? You've got a target on your back. And the higher that God calls you, and the more you want to serve him, and the more you step out, the more the target gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And that is why, that is why that failure is so close uh, to, to a victory. Because even when God has blessed you and given you a blessing, that you're just around the corner of having Satan come and drag you down. Drag you down. Pride. Greed. Put the list on and on and on and on. Uh, and, and you understand this. And so you see it here in this lesson. After this great victory, now they're defeated. It's the first time that the Jewish people will suffer a defeat at the hands of another country and will have 36 people killed. 36 Jews are killed here. They're killed here in a situation that should not have happened. And, and so what you see here is, is an understanding of how God expects us to act. And when we're going to look at this situation uh, the next time we meet, we're going to see some of the errors that were made. You didn't see Joshua praying before this battle. You didn't see Joshua asking for the grace of God. You didn't see Joshua asking for wisdom before he went on the next battle. He presumed that God was with him. He presumed. We can never presume God being with us. We have to understand that that is an ongoing application, a prayer life, a sanctified life, asking God to be a part of what we do. And so what you see is that God's anger burned against Israel. Oh, my. They're your people, God, and yet your anger burned against them? Yes. That's the holiness of God. The holiness of God. So don't think that your sin, your little iniquity escapes God. It does not. And don't think that you're going to get the blessings of God while your life is not in full accord with God's will. I would say to you, make out a point this week. This is a perfect week as we honor Jesus Christ. 
as we see what Jesus did for us on the cross, to go back and re-sanctify our lives, asking God to take out the garbage of our hearts, clean us out from those things that we shouldn't be doing, to clean out our minds, clean out our spirits, give us a new, renewed filling of the Holy Spirit, turn up the pilot light in our life of the Holy Spirit so that we have a greater understanding, a greater sensitivity, a greater love of having Jesus be with us every step of the way. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us, Father. I thank you so much for these examples in Scripture that show us how to live. Lord, help our faith. Help us to recognize what's wrong in our lives and to take out the garbage that's in our life because we want the blessings, Lord. We want you to be with us. We want the victories, God. And we recognize that unless we do this, you will not be with us. And so, Lord, help us, help us to understand what this means and what we need to correct it. Bless our men, Father. Bless our men, especially this week. Help us to be mindful of the sacrifice on the cross and be with us safely, Lord. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to 66 Lessons for Life, the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.